Well, let's pray. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small love so amazing so divine demands my life my soul my own jesus we thank you for your presence with us in this hour Thank you for your loving heart that embraces us. As we reflect on and think about your flower bud this morning, move our hearts to a greater devotion to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Our saint today is Teresa, and it's a little bit strange talking about a saint that we all had some knowledge of in that she was alive when most of us, I think, were alive, and uh, so it, it feels a little different talking about her, but Agnes Gonjao Bajou was born in 1910 in the Balkan city of Skopje. Her father was a successful businessman and their life was very good. But he was a rights activist and was, we think, murdered by the Serbs when she was only eight years old. Her nickname was Flowerbud. And she learned the virtues of sharing and caring from both her parents. And they taught her to do good quietly and without boasting. She was fascinated with missionaries from the time she was just a little, little bitty person. She loved souls, they say that it was evidence that she had a love for souls even at her first communion. 
She was a soul filled with the light of Christ, even as a child. She was on fire for Jesus. And she had a burning love for him and a burning desire to quench the thirst of Christ for the love of souls. At 18, moved by a deep desire to become a missionary, she left her home and moved to Ireland where she joined the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary, known as the Sisters of Loreto. There she received the name of Sister Mary Teresa after Saint Therese of Lusso. And less than a year later, she was on her way to Calcutta, where she would spend the rest of her life, except for missionary adventures around the world. In May 1973, she made her final vows. The Catholics are pretty smart. Um, you don't just go down and, in the height of emotion, say, oh, yeah, I'm going to commit myself to be a nun for the rest of my life. You kind of have to go through stages, and you make a commitment for a few years, and if you're still feeling that way, you make it again, and then down the road, I think it was actually about 10 years from the, her first vow to her final vow, and in that vow, she vowed to become the spouse of Jesus for all eternity. And she later becomes Mother Teresa, and it's said that this uh, followed an incident where a man handed her a little baby who was blind and very sick, and she accepted him and said that she would become the child's second mother. She served for 20 years at St. Mary's School for Girls in Calcutta, first as a teacher, then as a principal. She was a person with a profound commitment to prayer. She was known for her charity, for her hard work. She had a natural talent for organization. Her life was filled with profound happiness and a deep love for Jesus and for her students and for the sisters in her order. Then she received a new call while riding on a train on the way to her annual retreat. She describes it as a call within a call. And she would never actually explain all that happened, but what she did say is that Jesus had called her to give herself to the poorest of the poor. And through interior locutions and visions, Teresa is said to have heard the voice of Jesus say, Come be my light. Her account is that he, he begged her that he revealed his pain to her at the neglect of the poor and said, I cannot go alone. That's heavy stuff. Two years after being tested, her permission finally came from the church. And on August 17, 1948, she dressed for the first time in a white, blue-bordered sari and passed through the gates of her beloved convent to begin a journey into the world of the poor. When she completed that earthly journey with Jesus in 1997, she left behind nearly 4,000 sisters 
in 610 foundations in 123 countries, all devoted to caring for the poor, which Jesus had called her to do. She gave her life to the poor and the forgotten. She was a powerful witness to presidents and prime ministers and heads of states all over the world and to civic leaders. She even helped me in my past life before I was ordained to be a priest I worked with a foundation in Washington that puts on the national prayer breakfast every year and in some 40 states 40 something states we have governor's breakfast patterned after the national breakfast and mayor's breakfast in several hundred cities and my job was to go and dig up some of the leading believing citizens of a community and try to bring them together and get them to host a prayer breakfast for the mayor or the governor. And when I went to New Orleans, I had been told of this wonderful man named Billy Burke. He was an engineer. He had a big engineering firm. In fact, his firm built and maintained all the pumps that keep New Orleans from going underwater. And um, it was a divine appointment. We became very fast friends. And I would spend my Fridays, I would meet him at 7 o'clock in the morning, and we would pray on the levee of the Mississippi River for the city of New Orleans, and then walk and have coffee and beignets at Cafe Du Monde. And then we'd go off to Metairie Country Club and pray golf. <laughs> so. That was uh, what a what a delightful time, and um, so we're we're working on the prayer breakfast, and so he says um, we're talking about the speaker. He says, well, why don't we get Mother Teresa? And I almost you know fall out of my chair. I think he's got to be crazy or kidding. <laughs> but anyway, he had a lot of clout that I didn't know about, and. Um, so we did, and so gathered in one of the big ballrooms in New Orleans um, about nine months later with the mayor and all the uppity-ups of the city and 1,500 guests, Mother Teresa brought us a message about loving the poor. Um, and I was so impressed with the quietness of her spirit. but. We need to move on, but she so she she helped um, not only the poor that we recognize as poor, but part of the motivation behind the prayer breakfast work is that the people that are in charge of that believe that some of the poorest people in all the world are the wealthy people at the seats of power and influence. That their their poverty is not recognized, but it's profound. And so she was ministering even to the poor on that day. She was recognized and honored at home and around the world for her life that was devoted to serving the poor. Um, she received the Indian Padmadri Award in 1962, the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. She was given the honor of a state funeral by the government of India. And on October 19, 2003, on World Mission Sunday, in St. Peter's Square, before an overflowing crowd of 
some 300,000, 3,500 of which were seated in reserved seats at the front of poor people, and then 500 of her sisters from around the world. Pope John Paul II beatified Mother Teresa of Calcutta, calling her one of the most important figures of our time and the greatest missionary of the 20th century. I'd like to close with a few thoughts about her service. Her service came from a deep love and devotion to Jesus. It grew out of that. Her love for God with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength was what made her tick. She was willing to leave her place of comfort and security to go and pour out her life for other her life for others. I don't think she kept score. She was always totally committed to the person that she was with. Many times just holding a dying person in the streets of Calcutta to help give them some dignity as they died. What I think she represents to us is the awesome power of one person fully committed to Christ, to love him. I think she shows us what the teaching of Jesus about the faith of a mustard seed, one little flower bud, totally devoted to Jesus, left the world a completely different place than she found it. And she was only about this tall. And then maybe the most heroic part of her we didn't find out about until after she died. She's described as the the darkness, the hidden night of the soul. It was hidden from even her closest friends. But almost from the very time that she started to work with the poor, she began to feel this emptiness, this aloneness, It was an interior life that was marked by an experience of deep pain. A feeling of being separated from God. Even rejected by him. An ever increasing longing to feel his love. But she persevered. She never looked back. In faith, she continued to do what God called her to do, even though she didn't receive any affirmations from the feeling part of her body. I think personally that Jesus just invited her to share in his sufferings. So the whole of her life was about a labor of love, about bearing witness to the joy of loving, the greatness and dignity of every human person, the value of little things done faithfully with love, the surpassing worth of friendship with God. I'd like to close with a poem that she shared at the 
mayor's prayer breakfast in New Orleans. She said, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Amen.